It's always a joy to be able to share from God's Word. Needless to say, I didn't prepare a new message. I went back into the archives, and as, as the Lord was burdening my heart, and I was praying, okay, Lord, what do you want me to ha- share um, with Missions Conference? Just coming off of that, I thought it was appropriate to continue that theme or that idea of sharing our faith, of evangelism, of being salt and light in a lost world. And I like what Alan just said up here. Who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is the one that God brings in your path, right? We need to, all of us, flourish right where we're planted. And that means if it's at work or in school, God desires us to flourish. That's your mission field for right now. It may change down the road as it is, as you know, with us. But right now, he wants you to be faithful where you're at. So that's what I want to look at. So the title of the message today is Salt and Light. Um, Following, you know, at the missions conference, we heard a lot about uh, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Taking it where uh, it has never been. And that's great. Um, But we also need to be, like I said, focusing on um, living truth and walking in obedience um, here as well, right? Lost people matter to God, so they must matter to us, meaning that no matter where we're at, um, we need to have a heart for the Lord and a heart for the lost, and really missions-minded, having a missions mind is simply that, having a, a heart for lost people, and when God burdens you for lost people in your community, in your schools, in your workplace, then doing something about it, right? That's, that's, and when we do that, when we're faithful to do something about it and to engage the culture with the gospel, both in love and in, and in sharing the message, when we're faithful to do that, then we're missionaries. Okay? So that's what I want to look at. Um, Matthew 5... Boy, am I really loud? Do I need to... Am I too loud? I sound really loud up here. No? Okay. Hey, that's good. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Okay, that's a uh, command uh, for every child of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17-20 through 20 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. In other words, he has made us right um, with him through Christ, through Jesus Christ. And he has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation... Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God was pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, be made right with God. This is us. This is our responsibility. So this is our call, right, for every believer. So that's what I want to talk about today. And I I love the fact that this church is faithful in so many ways, and I see that they're faithful in this. I, can, I don't need to list it, but I know many, many people in here, both young, young and old, who are faithful 
in being a light and a testimony, who are faithful to share Jesus Christ with the lost and dying world. And we're doing it in here. And this kind of behavior is not extraordinary. It isn't like, wow, this is extraordinary Christian behavior. They're sharing their faith. This is, the Bible says, our reasonable service. This is what we should be doing as believers. So let's pray, and then we'll get started in the message. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity we have this morning to study your word. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it is truth, that it is powerful, and that when applied to one's life, it transforms us. God, I pray that today what is shared will bring glory to you honor to you. We'll make much of you, God. Take away my inadequacies and my foolishness. Pray for Bill and for Kathy. Lord, just heal their bodies. Give them strength. Encourage them today. Give them the energy to get up and go to the bathroom and get up and get food. and Encourage them as they spend time in your word today. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I need this message. I just want to say right off the top, I need this message more than anybody. Because when I think of missions, it's easy for me, easier for me, it's, not, it's easier for me to serve within the body or to serve in missions over there, out there. What's hard is being faithful to serve every day right now, being a light, taking every opportunity, being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, to talking to people. And I don't mean just because the, when we share the gospel, it isn't, you know, you've heard this phrase, preach the gospel always and when necessary use words. That's true. And that means our life should be, our life should be preaching the gospel. However, the scripture does not let us off the hook. It also wants us to use this. We are to communicate, know, preach, understand the gospel and preach it with our mouth too. And it's important that both line up. So for me, that's the harder thing. And so when I'm, when I'm sharing this today, it is just all directed at me. You can take whatever the Lord wants you to take. All right, let's turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses three, or 13 through 16. Oh, the insert, by the way, Bill's insert. Just disregard it, sorry. Um, I thought about just taking his God's... Recipe for revival and just preaching it on the whim, you know, winging it, but no. Bill and I are like-minded, but not that like-minded, so. All right, let's, let's start with uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. And then, of course, what I, the verse I quoted, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So this is not a call for the Christian to cruise through life in the simplest easiest way possible, bump-free, so to speak. This is not that 
kind of a call. In our culture today, if we faithfully live these verses, if we are faithfully sharing the message of Christ, there will be some uncomfortable side effects. It's not always going to be well received, right? We've all experienced that who are faithful. Sometimes it is well received. They repent in sackcloth and ashes. Everything's wonderful. Rarely. But a lot of times it isn't well received. So, But we need to expect it. Why the word picture salt and light? We're going to get into that. The world needs salt. It's a preserver, right? Our culture is very corrupt. Very filled with sin. So salt is a preserver. Why light? Because it is a very dark place, our culture. So we want to look at that. We're going to get into it a little bit. So what is the biblical perspective on our world, on our culture? Is man basically good? Is the world getting better? Right? Society tells us this. Man is basically good. We're getting better. Man is getting better. Okay? Has all the advancements of man improved his condition? Man has advanced in every facet of life to an outstanding degree, yet man has not in any way changed his own basic nature. Okay? He has not improved the moral condition of himself or society. We know there's only one way that that can happen, right? It's through the transforming power of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ indwelling you. It's the only way that will happen. That man will improve in his morality, true improve, not just band-aid. Or that society will change. Okay? Man has simply found new and improved ways to show what he really is. Sinful. Wicked. This is me. Sinful. Wicked. To the core. You've heard the phrase... Well, maybe you haven't, you younger generation, that the world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? Maybe the older generation. But basically, things are going downhill fast, right? Because of this, many Christians and many churches are withdrawing from the culture. They're sucking back into the church. Okay? This is happening. I'm not saying it's us, but I'm saying this is happening. Many churches are... are into a a church bubble in a sense where we do lots here but we do little there okay Um, we may some may tend to hub in their Christian communities and avoid avoid rubbing shoulders with their neighbors right we all like privacy and Christians too we like our privacy there's inconvenient times to rub shoulders with your neighbor but who is our neighbor And when God says rub shoulders, in other words, engage them, then we need to do it, whether it's inconvenient or not, whether it's uncomfortable or not. Trust me, sometimes it can be very uncomfortable. Okay? Um, We need to be looking for opportunities, taking opportunities to immerse ourselves into the lives of the unsaved. I think of some people in our body who are doing just that in their workplace, tremendously impacting the lives of the unsaved. 
because of immersing themselves into their lives through work or whatever. That, that's what we need to be doing. Um, we shouldn't be creating a safe distance, okay, or staying indifferent, or being happy to be in our little Christian community, right? Riskless living, evangelical inactivity, whatever you want to call it, but we do that a lot, okay? We have no intention of budging from our safety zone, what's comfortable for us. It's hard to budge out of our comfort zone, right? We're all that way. It's human, it's nature, okay? And so often in the church, we don't move out of it. The problem is we are not to withdraw to a Christian subculture. The object of the, the object, the point of the believer is not to isolate but to infiltrate. Thank you very much, Alan. The problem, all right, we're not to isolate but to infiltrate, not to evade but to invade, not to disengage but to engage culture. That's what we should do. The believer is to impact culture without being compromised by it. And now this is easily said but hard to do, right? We're either in this court or then the pendulum swings all the way to the fact that we're trying so hard to be relevant and authentic and relate to culture that we're compromising what? Holiness, obedience, truth, all right? So we can't be on this side You know, we either fall off of this side of the horse just to get back up on it and fall off that side of the horse. We need to be on the horse. We need to find a balance of grace and truth. Right? Not trying to relate or be relevant in culture to the point where we're no longer being holy the way we should or obedient. And then the other, we shouldn't be in the ditch of just hubbing together as Christians in our little sub-Christian culture. Okay? So we need to know the Bible, we need to know truth, and we need to live truth. We need to speak truth within the context of culture. Jesus says in John, and let me turn there, I have it marked. John chapter 17, verses 15 through 18, I'll read it. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them by your truth. Be willing to engage the culture. Do not avoid it. Do not run from it. We cannot live in a Christian bubble and be effective in reaching the world we live in today. We are going to have to get up close and personal with the culture of our day. This may be very intimidating and uncomfortable for many of us. Me, for sure. Okay? Christ was a wonderful example of engaging culture and not running from it. Christ was not intimidated by his culture. He never was. He didn't go, I'm so terrified to go out and engage people because they're so wicked. That's not how Christ operated. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling. Literally, it means He pitched His tent among us. Among us being the sinful world. Christ lived perfectly and powerfully within the context of culture. And practiced 
and the practices of the day. He participated and immersed himself into the local life. He didn't just stay with all of his Christian things and do all of his Christian fun stuff. And He actually went out and engaged the local life, engaged the local people, engaged the culture. He didn't just have all of his activities centered around church. He made himself accessible by being out in it, not by isolating himself from it. On the foreign mission field, if you ever go overseas to be a missionary, the best way to learn the language and the culture is what? It's to go out in it. Don't be the book learner. That's necessary. But there's a part of it you'll never connect with them if you don't go out into the culture and engage the language and engage the culture of the people. And it's no different. Okay? We can pray from within the church and help people from within the church, but unless we go out into the highways and byways and touch the people and love the people, that's where we have to engage it. In John chapter 4, we see Jesus engage the woman at the well, right? An immoral woman, a woman who had been married and divorced five times. And she was living with a man at present who was not her husband. Okay? You notice what Christ did not do? He did not avoid her because of her lifestyle choices. He didn't avoid her. He didn't go, a moral woman. Wicked, wicked. No, he didn't do that. He did not condemn her because of her lifestyle choices. Now, I'm, it's easy to do this, especially with certain aspects of sin. He built a bridge to her, he connected with her, and then he appealed to her inner spiritual need or thirst. And he brought salvation, which is what she really needed. He addressed the heart of the problem, which was sin. I know, now sometimes when we address the heart of the problem doesn't come out that well. The object of evangelism should always be to build bridges, not burn them. Many Christians in churches today burn bridges. I've burnt a few in my day. Many would not even engage with a prostitute on the street looking for business. Right? They wouldn't, many Christians wouldn't even have a conversation with a gay or a lesbian person. It's just, whoa, this is way out of my comfort zone. I'm way too uncomfortable for this, so I'm just going to avoid it. So many Christians are known for what they don't stand for or agree with, but are they known for what they do stand for, what they do agree with, what they are passionate about? You see, Paul says something that's interesting regarding this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. He says, When I wrote to you before, I told you not to associate with people who indulge in sexual sins. But I was not talking about the non-believers who indulge in sexual sins, who are covetous, who are swindlers, who are idol worshippers, who do all kinds of evil. 
You would have to leave this present world to avoid people like that. You see, we cannot and should not expect an unbeliever to act any differently than he does. But yet sometimes we get all bugged about, like, like, like he should have some kind of moral code. Right? We assume that they should have some form of morality when they don't have the transforming power of the Holy Spirit or they don't apply the word of truth. They're lost and they're, they're dead in their sins, it says, right? We can't expect them to act differently than they do. They are being what they are. They're living their very nature. And you and I were the same way, by the way, Scripture says, before we were made alive in Christ Jesus. We were the same way. We acted the same way. Sorry, I keep losing my... I have to read because I didn't have time to really memorize. The scripture says they are dead in their trespasses and sins. Now, in John chapter 3, we see Jesus sitting down with Nicodemus, right? He was the other way. Very religious man. Very moral man. A meticulous rule follower. This was Nicodemus. Completely opposite from the woman at the well. However, the one thing Nicodemus and the woman at the well both had in common was they both needed Jesus. There are a lot of moral people out there who are far more moral. They probably live, in a sense, in, a, in an appearance of morality better than most Christians. But that doesn't change their need for the Savior. Morality isn't what saves us. Right? So here Nicodemus, here the woman at the well, opposites. Whether immoral or moral, they were both lost. You see, Jesus adapted to both situations and brought the gospel to them. I think, believers, sometimes we need to be better at adapting. Jesus adapted to this situation and brought the gospel to them. Jesus adapted to that situation and brought the gospel to them. Paul says another interesting thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 22, I'm not going to, you can turn there, I'm not going to read it for the sake of time, but you can write it down if you want to and you can read it later. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 22, especially in verse 22, he basically says, I try to find common ground with everyone to connect with them so that I might by all means save or bring them to Christ, save some, so that Paul tried to find common ground. Now, we don't ever trade relating to the unsaved world or finding common ground for holiness and obedience. That's not what I'm talking about. Don't don't trade holiness and obedience for relating and having common ground. That's not what Paul's talking about. I want, to clear, I want it to be clear that I am not talking about compromising the truth of the gospel or the integrity of scripture. I am simply compromising in methodology. The goal is less about the sacred method or the way we always have done things and more about winning the soul.
as culture changes, there is much about you and I and the church that needs to change and that can change without compromising truth. Have you ever... I mean, sometimes if it's always... This is the way we've always done it. This is the way it has always been. Sometimes it's so hard to hop out of that bubble, to hop out of that comfort zone and do something radical, something crazy, something that has not always been. But we can do that. Those things are, it's methodology, right? We can flex all over the board on that. What we can't flex on is truth. Okay? All right. Now, Point number two. So what was point number one, by the way? Oh, be willing to engage culture, not avoid it. Don't run from it. Point number two. We need to be authentic salt and light. Authentic salt and light. The real deal. Now, we can be authentic in our brokenness and in our failures. Yes, But God does not intend for us to stay there. And at great cost to himself, he has provided a way for us to move on. So I, I, and we should, we should be authentic. You know, we're broken people. We're sinful people, right? So we need to be authentic and pat each other on the back. Yes, we're broken and we're sinful. But God does not intend the believer to stay broken and sinful. And he has provided a way for us to move on. So when I talk about authentic salt and light, the real deal, what, what I'm really trying to say is the world needs today to see Christians who are authentic in holiness, in purity, and in obedience. Not authenticness in brokenness. That's great, but we don't want to stay there. But we have Christians that stay there for 20, 30 years and pat each other on the back and they never effectively impact anybody because they stay broken Yes, yes, we're all broken. Yes, we're broken. But Christ shed his blood so that we don't have to be. And he empowers us through the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of Scripture to go beyond that sinful condition. So when I say we need to be authentic salt and light, I mean we need to be the real deal in holiness, in purity, and in obedience. There is nothing quite as damaging as a Christian who talks a lot about their faith in Christ, but whose lives are characterized by disobedience and self-centeredness. And this is me many times. If I'm talking about the truth of Scripture, and I'm preaching the truth of Scripture, and I'm living disobediently, and I'm living a life of self-centeredness, not dying to self, right? Making God a part of my plans, not me making, not, not my plans falling into His, right? If that's the way I'm living, then I need to change it. Sometimes repeatedly. You may need to change it again and then confess and change it again, right? So what is authentic light? What, uh, what does it look like? Let's look at, go back to Matthew chapter 5, verses uh, 13 through 15. I'm going to take a swig of this. You can just look there. In this verse, it says, We are to be salt. I want to look at some characteristics of salt. When we think about salt today, it does not carry the same meaning for us as it did back in biblical times. 
Salt for us today is common, right? We don't see it as a valuable commodity as they did in Bible times. Today it's just common. Oh, salt, yeah. Put it on your eggs, whatever. No big deal, right? In many remote areas of the world, like where I grew up in Indonesia, salt is still very valuable. They still trade with salt. I can get a really cool, you know, all the stuff in here, by the way, most of it's mine. But I could get a really cool bow and arrow set or a really cool handmade machete or whatever, and I could trade it for some salt. That's how valuable it is. Right? So it's still a valuable commodity. It's highly valued in many cultures of the world. In Roman times, when Jesus used this statement about salt, it was extremely valuable. Salt was used as a form of currency, believe it or not, back then. It was used as a form of currency. Roman soldiers would often be paid in salt. How would you like that, guys? Go to work all day and get paid in salt. I don't know that that would work for us. This is where we get the expression, he is not worth his salt. Have you ever heard that? For the older generation. The younger generation that's gone over them, they don't even know. But he's not worth his salt. That's where we get it. Because Roman soldiers were paid in salt, and if he was useless, he wasn't worth it. Basically, he was saying, boy, that soldier's useless. Okay? Salt was used for currency. So when Jesus made this statement, the first thing we need to realize about salt was that it was something of value. It was important, right? The second thing we need to realize about salt is that it is a preservative. Not having refrigeration, people would rub salt into their meat, right? Or put their meat in, in salt blocks, Or cut their meat into strips and soak it in salt water, just saturate it in salt water. Did you realize that we will die if our body doesn't have enough salt? Isn't that fascinating? But this would keep the meat from spoiling and would allow you to eat it at a later date. Kathy and I, you know, when we went into missionary training years ago, we went to what they called jungle camp. We built our own house in the jungle and lived there for six months, six weeks on what we built. Poor Kathy. Um, Because I'm not a builder like Jason, so the bed was like this. But anyway, sidetrack. But we would get deer. Deer would come in. You know, they'd shoot it and they'd come in. And then we were supposed to go dress it and hang it and clean it and skin it and cut it all up. And then in order for the deer, we didn't have refrigeration, right? Our refrigeration was a metal box or a five-gallon bucket dug three feet down in the ground and covered That was our refrigeration. Maybe if we could do it right by a creek or in the creek, that would be good too, with a lid on it. So we would soak all of our meat in salt. We'd cut it in thin strips and just saturate it in salt, or we'd rub salt all into it. And it would make it last. Sometimes we'd soak it in salt and then dry it on the fire or whatever and make like really salty jerky. (sighs) It was wonderful. Very good. Anyway, I don't know why I told you that, but it works. Okay, Christ 
knew his audience would know what he was talking about when he said, you are the salt of the earth. Christ was effectively saying, you are a preserving factor in the world, in the culture. Christ, Christ in you, you're the one who's preserving culture. The truth of God's word is what's preserving culture. Okay? You are a preserving factor in the world around you, in the culture around you. Is it not the Christian that should stand up for what is right? The Christian that should speak out against what is wrong? Is it not the Christian that should be on the front lines to stop every heinous thing that happens? It should be us. Every wicked injustice. Is it not the Christian that should be at the front lines of every relief organization? It should be us. Around the world. You see... This is what Christians do. This is what Christians are. It's not something we put on. It's something we are. It's our very being. It's our very existence as a child of God, indwelt by the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We preserve. We stop the spread of corruption. This is not exceptional Christian living. This is our reasonable service. But yet, sometimes we think, oh man, that guy is just super spiritual. He's like a super Christian. We all should be super Christians. It's our reasonable service. It's not exceptional Christian living. It's what the Bible commands of us, really. Oh man, i got a long way to go then, because... On a personal level, as a believer, we should change the dynamics of a room when we walk in. That person who was just about to say the punchline of a dirty joke, when we walk in, he suddenly shuts his mouth. Have you ever had this happen? John's coming in the room. I better be quiet. Right? Or how about this one? The person who inadvertently cursed around you and then realized you were there and he apologized and then he changed his language. You see, this is not a bad thing. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. I've heard some Christians say, oh, our faith is a private thing and we should, we should mind our own business and really be private about it. Wrong. That's not what Scripture says. That's not. This could not be further from the truth. The very tension in the room signifies that you are seen as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ. The very fact that there is that in the room. Your presence alone makes a difference in the room. You see, you see, this is what Christian, this is what a Christian is, this is what a Christian should be. This is us being obedient to a mandate given to us by our commander in chief. And I don't mean the one in the White House. I mean the one in here. I love that. That It happens a lot. We've all experienced it. One time, I'm going to tell you a story. I don't know. I have time. Maybe I don't, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> I got my fingernail ripped off, you know, and pretty much that much of my thumb just gone. Everything was stripped. The meat, the, it was just a stub of bloody raw meat. And when it happened... The first thing that came out of my mouth at my workplace was, "Mm, that really smarts. Now, 
What do you think that that said to the other guys at work? The first thing the guys said to me is, the, the guy almost said immediately after that, as I'm going to wash off my bloody stump, which stung like crazy, by the way, as the water ran on He said, man, Mark, he says, I do not think that that could have happened to me. I would have had a lot better words to use during that situation than, mm, that really smarts. He said, I would have been cussing up a blue streak. It was a testimony. And it wasn't only him. Then more and more came. And I had opportunity to share. But that's a life that has lived a certain way that then gives you an opportunity to share truth. That can only happen is if I've made habits, healthy habits of controlling my tongue. Right? Because if I hadn't, if I, every time I'm home and I do, I smash myself with a hammer and I go, then when I'm at work and I do it, I'm going to go, right? So what that was, was habits, healthy habits that paid off and gave me an opportunity to witness. That's what I'm talking about. The third thing we need to realize about salt, right, is that it stimulates thirst. One, it's valuable. This is under the, the second point, and then A, B, and C. Salt is valuable. Salt is a preserver. And number C, it stimulates thirst. Have you ever eaten a large McDonald's fry? If you just eat the whole thing, because it's delicious, you're thirsty afterward. At least I am. Or if you eat a whole bag of, what's those, um, um, David's... Um, Seeds, what are the sunflower seeds, the salty ones, they're amazing. But then you're like, oh, I need a drink, right? Well, that's how we should be as believers. This is how we should be to the unsaved world. You see, when we walk with Jesus the way that we should, the believers should be stimulating in others a thirst for God. That stimulated in others when my finger got ripped off. That stimulated a thirst. They were like, whoa, he did not respond like most people. I wonder what is wrong. What's the difference? Okay, it stimulates a thirst for God. Just like salt is the flavor enhancer, the believer should enhance the flavor of Christ to the unsaved world. We're not to make it worse, which happens a lot. We're to enhance the flavor of Christ. Do you enhance the flavor of Christ? Have you ever met those believers who you just love to be around? You never get tired of hanging out with them? Because they're just like... Little Jesuses in the room. You know, you just... They're so humble. They're so discerning. There's some of them in here. You just love to be with them. Because they radiate Christ. They smell amazing. And no, you're not over there going... That's not what I'm talking about. They smell so amazing like Christ. They make you hungry, thirsty, salty. Okay? Okay, you could just hang around and spend all day with them. There's something about their lifestyle, their perspective, their worldview, their relationship with Christ that makes you long to not only spend time with them, but it stimulates you and gives you a desire for a greater intimacy and walk with the Lord Jesus Christ just by being with them. You're like, dang, when that guy prays for rain, you better bring an umbrella because it's going to rain. 
I want to be like that, you know. It stimulates in you a desire. They are stimulating others a thirst for intimacy with God. You see, we cannot influence a world for Christ if we are compromised in our own walk. How effectively will we sting the world's conscience if we go against our own? We've all done it. I'm a culprit of that. We cannot stimulate spiritual thirst in others if we have lost our own spiritual thirst. Right? You can't bubble over with joy if there's nothing bubbling out. You've got to be filled and bubbling over. We cannot stop the corruption of sin in others if we, in our own lives, are corrupted by it. I'm not saying sinless perfection. That's not what I'm talking about. That that's, has nothing to do with this. I'm talking about a lifestyle of laying it down and walking in obedience and keeping short accounts with the Lord. Right? Keeping short accounts with a holy God. You see, if we are not living in such a way that will stimulate in others a thirst for Him, we are not salty Christians. What good are we? According to verse 13, we're good for nothing except to be thrown down and trampled upon. Now let's shift gears from salt to light. You see, I want to read some of this because I don't want to, I don't want to miss any. You see, there is an order here. We are to be salt, then we are to be light. I think this order has significance. Not to say that we should not be light regardless. Having acted as salt, you can now function effectively as light. Do you know what I'm getting at? Having acted as salt, you can now function effectively as light. Having aroused others' curiosity by... what I am and how I live, I can now effectively tell them why, right? You've aroused their curiosity. You've made them thirsty. Now you can tell them why. Let me explain. Where salt is hidden, light is obvious. Salt works secretly from within. Light works openly. Salt is more the inner influence of the gospel, whereas light is more its direct communication, right? In James it says, purify your hearts and cleanse your hands, ye double-minded. It's talking about inner cleansing, salt, and external, right? Well, how we look on the outside, okay? Salt is more the indirect influence of the gospel where light is more its direct communication. Salt works primarily through our living whereas light works primarily through what we say. You see, it is not sufficient just to live the message of the gospel. We are to preach and teach and tell others, share the good news. Your light reveals things, right? Light exposes darkness. That's what it does. There is a reason why so many people do not come to the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know what it is? It says it right here in the Bible. John chapter 3, verse 19. This is why lots of people don't come to Christ. Men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil deeds, sin, 
hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his evil deeds, his sin, should be exposed. That's why it's hard for people. They're blinded to the truth. They love their sin. You and I were there. Scripture says we loved our sin. We were in it, mm, slaves to it, until we were radically saved through the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and shown light. It like pierced into a dark room, right? You've seen in a hotel room. You ever stay in a hotel room? It's pitch black in there, but the hallway has a light, right? It never goes out. I wish you could turn the hallway light out outside of the room. The whole room can be dark, but what will you see? Under the door. Bright light, right? While you're trying to sleep. Like, Okay? But that's how the light of the gospel is. It can be dark, but it pierces the darkness. It shows you a direction. It shows you a way out. You see, light does not only expose what is hidden in the darkness, but light shows a way out. The light of the gospel shows people their inadequacy, their sin. And it points them to a solution, a way out of their darkness. It points them to Jesus Christ. You see, only the gospel does this, nothing else. For the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 1.16 Nothing else is the power of God unto salvation. This is why it's so important when we share the message of Christ that we talk about sin. That's, that's disappearing in our churches today. We talk all about the love of God and, and that's all true. And how he's a God of second and third and 500 chances and that's all true. But we don't ever hardly bring up anymore in the gospel message that we're sinners. And the consequences of our sin is death and eternal separation from a holy God. All of that stuff is hardly talked about. But it needs to be in the gospel that you preach. In conclusion, yes, there is a conclusion, and hey, we're getting close. Good. In conclusion, let's look again at verses 13 and 14. I want us, uh, verses 13 and 14 of chapter 5 in Matthew. I want us to focus on one little word in this text. Let me go back there real quick. I took my, my, uh, Marker out. Okay, I want to focus on the word you in this text. You, Y O U. Jesus says, You are to be salt, you are to be light. This statement is directed individually to each one of us. This isn't saying the church is to be salt or light or Pastor Bill is or Pastor Jim or Elder Chris is to be light. It's much more specific than that, right? It says you are to be light, you are to be salt. This statement is directed individually to each one of us, not to your church and its programs and its outreaches, okay? Not to your pastors and to your Sunday school teachers. Jesus might as well have been saying, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. 
In other words, if there was no other ever, any other salt, you need to be it. You and you alone are the light of the world. Let me ask you something. What if every Christian lived, what if every Christian lived exactly like you do? If they behaved exactly like you do, would the world be attracted to or turned off by the gospel? That's kind of scary. Because what if you were the, yeah, you were the only light, the only salt? What would somebody's perspective of Christ and Christianity be if every Christian lived exactly like you did? Behaved exactly like you did? Thought in your mind exactly like you did? See, it's, it's easier to look good on the outside, but man, sometimes our insides can just be ugh, horrible. Right? Would the world be attracted to or turned off by the gospel, by the flavor of Christ? What opinion would people have of Christianity if you were its sole representative? Whether it's in public or in private. Whew. Huh? It's when you feel like crawling under a rock. Yeah. Right? Okay, we're almost done. The point is, the only gospel light, the only representation of Christ that some will ever see in this world, in this culture, in your family, right? Because we need to flourish where we're planted. Our ministry is where God has us right now. Not where we want to be, but where we are now. So that's where you're to flourish and be this light. So the only representation of Christ that some will ever see in the world, in this culture, in your family, in your circle of friends, amongst your co-workers, in your schools, in your neighborhoods, is you. The unsaved world is going to form an opinion about what they think and feel about God based on what they see and hear come out of you. And we know there's some really bad opinions out there. You say, well, that's a lot of pressure, man. Yes, it is. It is a lot of pressure. And hopefully it will motivate us to evaluate how we do things, both individually and collectively as a body. You see, the only hope to change a culture that is run amok is Christ. It is the Bible It is the church. It is the believer. Christ in you. Well, oh yeah, there it is. Christ, I didn't know if it was still up there. Or if the missions thing was up there. Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what changes society, okay? Our nation will not be turned around morally on its own. Government will not bring solutions to our problems. No Man cannot fix his own problems. The only thing that can turn our culture around is the spirit of the living God in you. Lived out in obedience. That's where it's got to start, right? It's got to start there. 
The only thing that can change our culture is the spirit of the living God. Spiritual revival. Hey, there we go. Bill was going to teach on revival today. So we did get a little bit of it. Revival can only happen if it first happens here. With us. Our own heart needs to be rocked. Our own thinking needs to be tweaked. Our worldview needs to be changed if necessary. Young people, this postmodern worldview, postmodernism, no. Nah. Our worldview needs to be changed. I'm working on a message on all that too. It's a long one. It's exciting, but I'm not there yet. Revival is both personal and individual. A dark world will never be affected until we are willing to live truly transformed lives. Not playing at living differently, but actually doing it. I, I hear people all the time, I'm so burdened to do that. I envy you for doing this. Don't envy me, just do it. If you're burdened about it, do it. Engage. Act. Right? That's what the Lord wants us to do. When we're burdened, when we're moved to act, He wants us to act. In faith. It's not all about us. It's, Lord, I'm terrified to act. But we step out in faith and we act. Revival is personal and individual. A dark world will never be affected until we are willing to live transformed lives. Not playing at living differently, but actually doing it. So how are we doing? How am I? Who cares about how are you doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? Actually, I do care about how you're doing, but I'm I'm evaluating myself here. Not all of you. I'm not evaluating Kathy Weeks. How are you doing? Don't evaluate your neighbor. Evaluate yourself. Okay? How are we doing? How are we being the very most effective salt and light? Are we? Are we being the most effective witness that we can be? Are you and I? Am I making a difference at all in our world, in our culture? Is my life all about me or is it all about Him? Do I fit into God's plans or does He fit into mine? If we're doing great, man, which... I know some of you guys in here are laying it down and you're just you're just amazing witnesses and testimonies. And I love that. It's a challenge to my heart. And if we're doing that, if we're doing that, great. Praise the Lord. Give Him credit. Give Him glory, right? Because He is worthy of you laying it down. He is worthy of other people coming to know Him because you're laying it down. He's worthy of it all. So praise Him. But if not, if we're not, then let's get on our knees. Let's get on our face. Let's be broken and humbled about it. And let's change. Let's change how we're living. Let's change the way we're doing church or whatever it is we do. The way we're doing our Christian life. Repent, turn around, turn away from what doesn't work and begin doing what does. 
And that can only be done. It's not about you. I can't do any of this, right? Dell can't do any of this on his own. How does Dell do it? The power of the indwelling spirit of Christ lived out in him. Both in how he demonstrates it with his life and how he communicates it with his mouth. Being authentic in our brokenness, yes, but also being authentic in our obedience and our holiness. Let's pray and then we're done. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you love us, that you have redeemed us through the blood of Jesus Christ. That while it says in our trespasses and sins, when we were not seeking after you, when we were running away, you pursued us and you pulled us out of the miry mud and wickedness of our life. You pierced the darkness with light. You allowed us to see when we were blind. Thank you for salvation. And I pray as we live as unto you, that it would be in a way that stimulates others to be thirsty. That it smells wonderful, this aroma of you, Lord Jesus. That we would live obedient lives, both internally and externally. And this is so much harder to do than it is to say. Change us. Humble us. As we read your word, as we pray, as we dig deep, teach us, Spirit, Holy Spirit. Teach us as we read your word. Make us effective for you. In Jesus' name, amen.